Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah. He's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 56 of the Skate Podcast. This is the first post postseason edition of the podcast. And that means that there's bad news that the Bruins season is over. The good news is that we all picked the Islanders in six, right? That's right, yeah. I definitely did not pick the Bruins in five again. I didn't do that. <laughs> Neither did I. <laughs> I definitely didn't do that either. No, but honestly, in the last podcast we did, you guys were pretty confident that they were going to go in and win game six. I was a little bit less confident just because of the fact that they hadn't been getting, you know, those kind of bounces in any of the other games, the lucky bounces that some of the Islanders were getting and and they also weren't getting the officiating to really help them out at all and just going into uh you know the barn and not being able to have their own fan base behind them definitely once they got down it was different in that way I mean Scott and I were at game five when they got down in game five the fans were still there to kind of lift them up a little bit they didn't have that um on the road so I I think that that all factored in um to the fact that they are now eliminated. Um, of course, we'll get into all of the many other things that they didn't do well in game six um, and just in other parts of the series where they could have changed things around. Uh, but first of all, Brian, you wanted to go from back to front, talk about the goaltending first and the fact that Tukarask um, coming out of last night didn't have his best game and uh, was not 100%. Yeah, sure. So... And, and, and I think I speak for Scott when we both said that we liked the Bruins in Game 6. It was because they've showed time and time again this core that when their backs are against the wall, win or lose, they, they play their best. And last night was the first time Marshan decided that this core just pretty much no-showed in the elimination game. And I just didn't see that happening because I'd never seen it before and wasn't expecting so. Did you want to touch on that quickly, Scott, before? Yeah, I think what would be... Uh, what was obviously most disappointing was the second period in particular, because I thought the first period, 
wasn't their best. They certainly didn't get off to as fast of a start as they had the past few games. But they they hung in. Like, they actually did what the Islanders had done. Like, they hung in there. Then they get on the power play. Takes a second power play, but they finally score. They take advantage. They get into the intermission 1-1. And I thought that was going to be, like, a good moment for them to reset and build off that. And be like, okay, we didn't have our best, but here we are. Tie game. Fresh start for the second period. They're going to come out flying. And it went the complete opposite way with maybe their worst period of the season. Like, forget postseason. But just a a horrible second period that that dooms them. I mean, once you put yourself down three goals on the road in in an elimination game, like, you're not coming back. And their comeback effort wasn't particularly great either. They couldn't get shots on goal. So, you know, they got the one goal from Marshan where it looks like, all right, hey, maybe they're starting. But, yeah, that... That second period, it was just breakdowns everywhere. You know, Rask with the turnover, going up the boards to Riley, where, as he put it himself, you know, throws him a grenade. Uh, Grizzlick, two horrible turnovers. Something that he's usually so good at not doing. Usually Grizzlick is so smart and, like, so aware in those tight spaces when a guy's right on him. Like, he's very good at knowing what's around him, either spinning off it, just you know, knocking the puck away, whatever it takes, you don't see him get his pocket picked very much. No, I can't recall a worse turnover than he had he in had, game. He had one, uh, and we're going back a few years to his rookie year, when they played Tampa in seven, 18. Uh, he had a turnover like that early on in, like, game four or five, and Braden Point capitalized, or, or somebody like that. But, um, Bridget, to your original question about the goaltending and the defense, um, again, one of the other reasons that... I felt comfortable going into last night was because whether they started Rask or Swayman, which was the biggest headline and question going into the game, aside from Bruce's circus comments, which, you know, there was definitely some missed calls again last night, but hey, the Bruins are the first two power plays of the game. Um, so I thought that whether Swayman went in, he would rise to the occasion and, and force the defense around him to really buckle down because they know the situation that he's in. And if Tuca went in, I've seen him throughout his whole career bounce back after um, tough performances, but my biggest question was him. With him was was he healthy enough to bounce back like that? And I didn't think he was. And I ha- and I just didn't think that he had the the mental confidence or the physical confidence or abilities to be great in game six yeah. and then seven. And so my opinion going into the game was it should have been Swayman. Exactly. That's why we kind of came to the conclusion uh, after our previous podcast after game five where. Tuca was pulled in the third period and Swayman was put in, was that it should be Swayman. If Tuca's not 100%, I don't care what percent he is. You know, Cassidy said after the game, maybe he was 99, maybe he was 95, maybe he was 92. Well, if you don't really know where he's at and it's not, you know, pretty much 100%, then why why even risk it? Now, and the question that I have for you guys, the first one, well, uh, where I'm... would you put his percentage out from what you saw what percentage was Tuca actually at in Game 6? It wasn't 92 or 95, like Bruce Cassidy said. No. I'm sorry, but if you haven't... So both Cassidy and Rask acknowledge after the game that Rask may need surgery this offseason to repair whatever it is. We still don't know the exact details. Uh, if you have an injury that might require surgery, you are not 90-something percent. So exactly. You're, you're much lower than that. So I don't know if it's 80, if it's even lower than that. But, yeah... It, Obviously wasn't close. I mean, 
you don't get pulled out of game five of a playoff series if you're 90 something percent you don't you know skip morning skates or get maintenance days or whatever uh if you're that close to 100 percent. so you know the like that was kind of the debate all along is what percentage would he have to be at you know where he drops below this line and now a healthy swayman who hasn't played in a month is a better option well i think we're just about there i mean rats like so he has the bad turnover on one goal I don't necessarily. I don't think he was at fault on the other ones. Like there, well, there were goals where but, he just couldn't control the rebound. He couldn't. He just. Yeah. So, he just so that the one that Grizzly didn't clear away from the front of the net, like that was a bad rebound first and foremost. It should also have been cleared away, obviously. Yeah. But it was a bad rebound. Um, but you know, I think the biggest thing is Rask. The last few games of this series, even if he made you know the saves he's supposed to make or whatever, or you know the routine saves. I don't feel like he was making saves that were that were winning you games. Like they, he wasn't stealing goals. He wasn't uh, he wasn't doing what Semyon Verlamov was doing at the other end, where he Semyon Verlamov every game had multiple saves where you like, oh man, like that's that could have easily been a goal. And I just feel like Rask wasn't stopping that, and that's where not I think not being a hundred percent comes in because whether it's you're not athletic enough or you're a little slower reacting or you're going down a little earlier because you know it's a little tougher for you to go down or get up or whatever it is. Like, I think it factored in at some point. Yeah. And that's that's why I said I, I would have gone with Swayman. I, you know, I just would not have been able to trust Rask's health to hold up. And I think if you're Bruce Cassidy, I understand him saying, you know, we talked to Tuca, he said he's good to go, whatever. I expect a player to say that. I think if you're the coach... You have to be bold enough to, to pull the trigger yourself and say, I don't trust that he's 100%. Like, I've I've seen him in practice, games, whatever. I know he's not there. I'm going to go with the kid who is there. And if he wasn't 100% for the third period of Game 5, what made you think he was going to all of a sudden be 100% for Game 6 without any rest? He had one day off plus one period off. So, really, it's the same thing as the whole season. So, that leads me to ask you the same question, Brian. Was he 99%, 95 92 or whatever, according to what Cassidy said? You know, I, I, like I, like Scott said, I think it was less than, than 90. If, it were, if you require off-season surgery, you're clearly, you know, you got to be at least 75%, right? Or, you know. Um, but going into the game, it, it, unfortunately, I was, you know, I was um, not surprised to see the way it played out. I had hoped for different. I had hoped for him to bounce back, but again, uh, Tuka hasn't really been lights out at all this year. He's been, he's been really good, but I'm not sitting here saying that the game was lost because of Tuka. Uh, he definitely didn't play great, didn't make key stops, but let's be honest, the defense around him was depleted and their defensive structure went to hell when they lost Carlo and, 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 and Miller. And that showed. And, but here's the thing, you go you go with Swayman, and let's just say he makes a few different stops. Okay, so let's just say when the game's won, first of all, that that Travis Sajak goal, it's bad coverage in front. You're letting Travis Sajak out muscle your top defenseman, one of the best defensemen in the league, young defenseman, and just go top shelf on Rask. Somebody has to be better in that situation, whether it's McAvoy or Tuka. But fine, the game's one to one. I was telling Ian we were watching the stream here, and I said. 
I actually wanted the Islanders to score first, to change things up in the series, because the Brewers had scored first the last four games, and the Islanders won three of them. And when the Islanders scored, I was like, good, let the fans get into it. Let them get happy just to have the Bruins do the reverse and, and suck the momentum from the Islanders, and that's what they did. But then when it's one-to-one, Matt, Matt Grizzlick's turnover, he gets pickpocketed. Awful play. It's totally on Grizzlick. But if Swayman's in net, and let's just say hypothetically Swayman makes that save and it stays one-to-one, that lifts up the bench, that frustrates the Islanders. You just don't know if something different happens if you go with Swayman. I think ultimately... And people play differently in front of a rookie goalie. 100%. They play, they play more... Um, yeah, like they play more responsible. They, they play more aware. And, and, and look, I just think that they, they didn't make certain adjustments. Like, I, I wanted to see the Bruins really collapse down low in their own zone and just kind of like, you know, put up a brick wall in front of Tuca like the Islanders do. And I, I just never saw those adjustments. But end of the day, like I said, Swayman could have made a difference in that game, but I just think it would have delayed the inevitable because I think that the Bruins were doomed in the next series anyway. And, and we'll get into it later on, you know, what this team needs to improve on going forward. But yeah, the goalie situation, I just think they made the wrong call. And I have another question related to Rast's health. Not not in terms of pulling in for game six, but was there anything you guys think that they could have done before he got to this point where his injury, he said in his post-game press conference, his injury was getting worse and worse as the playoffs went on and as the games got more physical. Do you think that it would have been a smart idea, and this is just a question, it might, the answer may be no, to rest him at some point during the postseason like they've been doing in the regular season? In, in retrospect, yes, probably. So I guess when I would have done it is for Game 5, where Rask didn't take part in morning skate that morning, and you kind of got the sense that like maybe he's a little more banged up than usual because there have been plenty of other games where he did take morning skate. And I think if if you're going to need to go to Swayman at some point, like doing it in Game 5 with the series tied is a better time, at home by the way, is a better would have been a better time to do it than risking you know potentially putting yourself in that situation where you have to go to him on the road in an elimination game in Game Six. That no matter what, it was going to be a tough spot. Like either you're relying on a banged up Rask or you're putting a rookie in a really tough spot for his first career playoff start. But yeah, if Rask was that banged up, then yeah, they probably should have. You know, I don't even think it necessarily rest him. But just play Swayman because he might have been a better option. Like, Yeah, and and so you can kind of like look as a comparison to the Las Vegas series because in that series, they rested Marc-Andre Fleury game one. Vegas got absolutely destroyed and originally it looked like a really bad idea, but now Vegas is up in the series. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe if he really needed that rest, I'm not sure Marc-Andre Fleury would agree. Maybe that has something to do with the fact that now he's playing so well. So... It's a question that's always it's only possible to answer in retrospect, but it's just an interesting possibility. And you know, I think that maybe it was mismanaged. Rask's rest in the playoffs was mismanaged, especially for what he was used to in the regular season, um, getting days off, having a little bit extra time to recover. Uh, that's just why. That's why I posed the question. But he, you know, he had rest during the regular season at times. He didn't. He didn't have a huge workload this year. He did, he he was out for a, a portion of time that allowed us, enabled us to see what Jeremy Swayman and and Dan Vladar could do. Obviously, Swayman more so. And so the difference, Bridget, is with Mark Andre Fleury against the um, Avalanche. 
the Avalanche in Game One, coming off of their series with uh, who did they play in the first round? St. Louis? No, that was the uh, who did they, who did they Minnesota? Play? Minnesota. Oh yeah, because one seven. Thank you. Um, that was strictly to to for rest purposes. You're talking about trying to rest Tuca for injury. That nagging injury wasn't going away. And that's true. That's true too. Because yeah. it was just like a you know get get well a little bit. You yes. he wasn't nursing an injury on top of yeah. it. So that and does that just leads you back to the idea that Toyman. Playing him was, you know, just the better idea. At some point in the series, it was clear to see he was trending in the wrong direction in terms of his health, Tuca, and Swayman was just right there, and and people were confident in him as well. Well, and Rask got plenty of rest between the first and second rounds, too. They won five. Yeah, you have basically a week off. Yeah, so... So, you know, but look, obviously... I mean, if he's getting banged up by the fifth or sixth game of the series, then... Of the second round, Scott. Yeah. They had two more to go. And, by the way, they weren't getting rest between the second and third oh. round if if they made it that far, because Tampa had already wrapped up, so they were probably going to... Game seven would have been Friday, they were probably going to start Sunday or Monday. Like It was going to be a quick turnaround. You bring up Marc-Andre Fleury, and you bring up two different... You bring up one situation, I'll bring up another one. So, you... The, the, the Knights started uh, Robin Leonard because they thought that Fleury would have been a little gassed after seven-game series against Minnesota before playing a juggernaut in, in Colorado in Game 1. Well, let's go back to 2016. The Pittsburgh... Talk about loyalty. Flurry won a cup with the Penguins. He won a cup with Crosby. He won a cup for that for that ownership and, and that management. They decided, we're going to go with Matt Murray, and they won a cup with Matt Murray. How did that, how, but how did that turn out in the long run? Um, I'll take the two cups if I'm them. <laughs> it, it, look, yeah, you're right. They have Tristan Jari, right? But but my point is, in the moment, they weren't afraid to make the, the tough decisions to help them win in the short term, and it worked for them. And so I bring that up because earlier this year when Tuca got hurt, um, I knew all along that his health would come back to bite the Bruins in the ass or himself in the ass at some point, and he wouldn't be good enough because of his health to go and win a cup for them. Um, Tuca's had trouble winning a cup for them in the past when he's fully healthy and people give him crap for that. Now now he's hurt and he's going to win a cup? Not going to happen. So when Jeremy Swayman came in in a tough time of the year where the Bruins were slumping, remember when we, our first few podcasts, they sucked, we were like, eh, depending on the deadline, they might not make the playoffs. Well, Swayman came in and played lights out. It's easy to be Monday morning quarterback, but in the situation where Swayman comes in, helps the team, plays an incredible 10 games, and... You need to have gut instinct and feel that Tuca is not going to be the guy for a variety of reasons. This year, I would have just stuck with them. I would have stuck with Swayman. I, I honestly would have because he helped them get to where they were, and more so Tuca was hurt. And we'll get into the long term with those two later on. But I I, I guess to, to put a cap on the goal team in, in this series, I thought that the defense was real porous in front of them for, for injury reasons and whatnot. But... I would have gone with Swayman to try to get through the Islander series. After that, I think it's a moot point. I don't think that they get far anyway. So we would be having this closing podcast maybe 10 days from now instead. (laughs) And I just have one final point as well on the goaltending in Game 6. It's just that I, I, you can't blame it all on Tuka Rask. There was so many things that went wrong in that game that this is more of just a conversation about, you know, maybe a change that would have made sense um, before the game, but... In terms of the outcome, the Bruins' defense didn't play well enough either, so it's hard to blame it all on Tuca. Yeah, and I guess my closing thought would be they said all along that they would be confident in Swayman. Cassie said it, players said it, 
and their actions tell me that that wasn't true, that they're kind of just blowing smoke. And I don't understand why it wasn't true. Like, Swayman played excellent in the regular season. I think showed you, yes, it's only 10 games, but showed you enough that would make you say, like, yeah, this guy's get, this kid's got it. Like, he's a really good goalie. We can win with him. It wasn't like putting in Jarrett Stidham instead of Cam no. Newton or Tom Brady. He, he came in <laughs> it wasn't like putting in Halak. Exactly. He came in and in 10 games uh, among, I think it was goalies who played at least 300 minutes, had the best 5-on-5 five five save percentage in the NHL. Had the best high danger save percentage in the NHL. Yeah, like, they he had was his, making tough saves. They and... had his little face up on like the NHL website. It was just a like goalie to be determined. Like they didn't even have a picture <laughs> of him, but he was number one in I think yes, goals against and save percentage at, at yeah. one point in time. <laughs> so yeah, so but you know, not turning to him at, at any point other than for the third period of a game you're down by multiple goals tells me that for whatever reason they, they weren't really confident in him. Well, either that, Scott, or they were, but they just were too afraid to take Tuka out for whatever reason, loyalty, um, just who knows, public game, I don't know, I don't know the answer to just that. Just like the fact that they haven't seen Swayman play a full because, playoff game. Because I think, that's, I think that they'll have the confidence to have him be the franchise goalie come in the fall, so I just, I'm not sure if it's like the players, the leadership core was like, Look, Tuke's our guy. Like he's our boy. Like we're going with him. I don't know what it was, but whatever. But if that were the reason, yeah, or, I, I'm disappointed in that. Or even what I mean, goalie coach Bob Asenza has been here a long time for Tuke's entire career. Is there some a little bit of blind loyalty there? Because Bruce Cassidy relies on Bob Asenza a lot when it comes yeah, to goaltender decisions. He defers to him. Did you guys know? At least in the regular season, I don't know how much that carries over in the playoffs. If Cassidy would be more more or less likely to overrule him. Well, he mentioned but, that he deferred to him in the regular season yeah. in terms of bringing he up Ladar first yes. over Swayman and for sure. things like that. I know I know. Um, Bruce is getting a little bit of heat for the decision to not start Swayman, and, and, and they're making it seem like, who knows why, but I don't know, guys. When I heard Cassidy answer questions about Rass the last few days, before the game, after the game, didn't it sound like the tone of his voice was kind of like, reluctant that Tuka was starting. It was almost like if it was up to him, and he's the coach, but it was almost like if it was up to him, he would do swim, but it's almost like people were telling him, no, Tuka. And, and Brian, he said, we'll see who starts game six, the day before game six. It's almost like Neely and Sweeney or the, or, or the, the top players, like there was just like a net, like, no, 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 don't start him. We know you're, it's your job to be a coach and make decisions, but no, 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 we want Tuka. Well, and it's not like he was reluctant to in like... That, in that case, then I would, whether it's Cassidy, uh, was reluctant but did it anyways because he deferred to whoever players or he just trusted Rask. I'd say I'd criticize him and say, "Well, no, you're you're the coach, so you make the decision you think is best." And you know that the players are the players. You're the coach, so yeah, you make the decision. And if Sweeney and Neely stepped in, then I would say I criticize them. I'd say shame on them. Like you, you're not you have you have a coach for a reason. You have a goalie coach for a reason. You. It'd be like tell you help put the team together. Let them make the roster decisions now in series on the day to day basis. It would be like telling Bill Belichick what quarterback to play. Like just let him choose his goaltender. Well, and, and and obviously I'm speculating, but I don't know. I I tend to think that I can read things pretty well, and and it just sounded like he was kind of just like, well, hope hope, hope he's he's going. Hopefully he's. I just, it just sounded well, like he was I, like. And I, I I wonder if that's even just kind of. Cassidy to Rask, where it's 
you know, he, like maybe part of him wants to say, Tukes, you, you told me you're good to go. You, you told me you're hundred percent. You told me you're feeling good. Yeah. And then you went in there and, you know, you're moving a little slow and you turn another puck over and yeah, well, he, like maybe that, maybe that, I, who knows? Obviously we're the guessing, one line, but... the one line that he said post in the post game press conference that has to do with that. He said, he's our starting goalie and he told us he was ready to go. And that's that. Yeah. Well, so I guess we'll never know, really, because you know they just—it's—we just won't find that answer. Well, we out. will find out a little bit more information on his health, because he said after the post-game, I mean, the postseason exit meetings and whatnot later on, he didn't want it to be a headline exactly disclosing what was going on with him. But he said, "I promise that we'll tell you more about that later." And I think that once we find yeah. that out a little bit, we'll kind of be able to see more of the. What the future holds for two? But with a, with I don't. A I don't see uh, unless it's something real. If it's a surgery and it's and it turns out he was like really banged up, then it makes what we're talking about even worse for them. Yeah. <laughs> oh like, yeah, yeah. Know. So it more answers a question about the future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I, I the um, the defense we'll just touch on quickly. Like they were hurt with Carlo and, and Miller, so fine. You know, you have McAvoy who's being targeted, obviously being targeted, whether it's cheap or clean. Um, elbow up high, yeah, maybe. yeah. Um, One particularly cheap. Yes, yes very cheap. Um, and then besides him, you know, you're asking everybody else besides probably Grizzly, who should be used to this, this workload by now, to do too much. I mean, Grizzly obviously didn't. Um, and you guys may have to remind me, I, I'm pretty sure there was one game, whether it was Washington or Islanders, where he got banged up behind the net and left. I think it was against the Capitals, and maybe he was hurt from that. I think that. it was early in the Islanders series. Maybe I think it was. It was was it Clutterbuck? I think it was Clutterbuck yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, man, Bruce should sign him if he's available. <laughs> um, so he may have been hurt too. But besides those two, you know, Clifton is being asked to do too much. Lozon wasn't ready. Tenority is what he is. Um, and I thought that Mike Riley. I think we started to see a little bit of maybe, maybe, maybe why the Bruins were able to get him for so cheap because maybe his defensive game isn't really that great for he's defensemen. Not a, yeah, he's not a well-rounded defenseman. So I think that you know there's going to be some. Significant personnel changes on the back end in the offseason um, because, unfortunately, the two guys that were hurt, guys, like, they will likely be hurt again next postseason because well, yeah, Carlo and Carlos Miller have heard, that history. Carlos hurt every every time. Miller missed how many how many days, like, in between playing. And um, just a, another point, just this is something my dad said to me during the game, and I just want to kind of throw it over to you guys, see what you think. Because my dad goes, they need to replenish the defensive core. I'm like, Dad, how many defensemen can they have? They played how many? 13, 14 defensemen throughout the season? Like, they had guys, like, they have a lot of defensemen that they're developing. And Clifton's your seventh defenseman. He comes in, he's good. How many do the Bruins need in order to avoid well, this kind need, of fate? Yeah, it's not a... Well, it, it became a little bit of a quantity thing because they're so banged up. But Exactly. It's not quantity, it's quality. That They need better defensemen to play every night period like they their plan going into the season did not work because they approached it as a quantity thing they figured we have jeremy lozan we have jacob zaboro we have to earl vacanine and we have connor clifton and at least one or two of them will be able to run with a job and one will step up and emerge as a top four defenseman and they were wrong they're wrong on all counts uh because Lo- lozan and zaboro to me this year were at their best, an okay fit on your third pairing. At their worst, they struggled even there. And Clifton they, is fine as like a benched. number seven, 
swingman, defenseman. He can come in in a pinch, play on the left or right. Uh, Vakaninen got looked completely overmatched when he got into the lineup this year. Those guys weren't ready. You went out and you got you trade for Mike Riley, which all you give up is a third round pick. That on its own is a great trade, absolutely no problem. But Mike Riley had to become your number one left shot defenseman. He led all their left shot defensemen in minutes this postseason. That's not really the role he should be playing. Like him and Grizzly are both. I think really solid number two left shot defenseman. And I don't mean like they have to slot in on a second pair. Like Grizzly slots in next to McAvoy nicely with the exception of game six, which I'm not letting one game ruin what I think of Matt Grizzly. No, he had a good year. I, I've heard people say like, you got to move on from Grizzly. can win with small defense. And I'm like, let's calm down. Like, well, Matt, those are the people we don't listen to. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Matt Grizzly had a good season. He's a good defenseman. He rarely makes mistakes like that. Like, but I don't think Riley or Grizzly are guys that you want playing 22 minutes a night. Like, they should both be in the 19 to 20 range, so there's a little bit of duplication there in terms of, like, what their role should be. You, I think you still need a real impact left-shot defenseman. Doesn't need to be the left-shot version of Charlie McAvoy, because you're not finding that. Like, that's a top-five defenseman in the NHL. But someone who can play, like, 22 minutes a night, play penalty kill minutes... You know, power play if they have to. Like, in all situations, left shot D. And you can't go... If you have to settle for re-signing Riley, like, that's not the worst-case scenario. But then I think you still have to upgrade your defense behind that. Don't you think it should be a priority that they find a guy that can play on the penalty kill, seeing as the two guys that go down are two main guys on the penalty kill? I mean, they they had Tenorti playing on the penalty kill, which didn't look very good. Uh, By the way, props to him. I, I, I... I thought he did as best as he could. He did his best, he did. but he's not. He's, he's just limited. He yeah, just, he's, he's limited. just limited. He's slower. He and just he, and he won't. He he won't be. He's he's one of those players like he won't be back next year. Like like unless unless he wants to sign for a bag of pucks and be a twelfth defenseman. But um, I, so I, I, Stephen Camper invitational. Yeah, well. yeah. Actually, hey, Stephen Camper could pretty well. Stephen Camper could have been a better option in the series, you know, um, over some. But I think Bridget. Um, the the system that they the, the pipeline of defense that they have um you know Brandon Carlo is great um but he's injury prone obviously Matt Rizik is also injury prone Kevin Miller is an older guy injury prone they gave away um Ryan Lindgren who could have been nice on this oh, team this series um so he's gone so you're looking at Zaboro who I don't I he's at the very best he'll be a sixth defenseman in this league um Jack Ashan who we'll leave it at that um I like that, a shot. I, 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 I like him. I like him. But, but, it's just as another smaller but, defenseman. But I'm, leaving, that's, but I'm leaving yeah. it at that, not out of disrespect, but because he's not going to put you over the hump. He's not yeah. going to make you a championship. That's why I'm leaving it at that. I'm, I'm trying to think of people that like will actually really help, um, help them in areas that they that they need to improve on. And then you know Lozon, we'll see what he becomes. I think I think he could be fine. Um, I'm disappointed in the lack of development from Eurovakanine, and I thought that he could have been a top. A number four defenseman in this league, the way he's uh, mobile and moves the puck and is a smart player, and he seems to be too intimidated by the by, by the by a man's game. Um, so with that, all that said, and again, I don't want to spoil the later in the podcast, but those defense is not their priority in the draft, in my opinion. And by uh, the next way, month, so Va- they're gonna have to address it. He was drafted 18th overall in the first. Yeah, round. he was. He was. So he was expected to to be more than he has. Right. Yeah. Well, when they drafted him, like the talk was like. 
he's the one who's eventually going to pair up with McAvoy when Char's gone. He was lights out at the World Juniors that year. And um, so, but because but I think that they have more pressing needs at the draft. And so, because of that, they don't have the internal fixes on D. So, I think they're going to have to address it via trade and free agency. Um, before we move on to the forwards, I don't want to let you guys not say any final thoughts on the defense in the series. I mean, obviously, the, no. the structure was bad. The, the structure was bad when Carlo and Miller went down, and they were able to get to their four check clearly. That yeah, and I would also say, I would just say, like, the people who are, you know, there's been some pushback of, like, well, they lost two of their regular defensemen. Like, what do you expect? You're not going to win a series. To which I would say, how did you ever end up in a point where you were banking on Kevin Miller to be healthy? Like, <laughs> true. when they re-signed him, I thought, and I think everyone thought, like, oh, this is a signing where it's like, if we get anything at all from him, it's a bonus. And then as the season gets going, it becomes clear that, like, oh, they're, no, they're banking him to be a regular. Like, he's part of their top six. And it was like, you just knew that wasn't going to last. Like, he's coming off multiple major knee surgeries. Of, I... co- of course, there was a very high chance that it was going to flare up, that there were going to be issues. And yes, the, the last injury that knocked him out was obviously a bit of a freak injury. Like, he takes a bad hit, he hits his head on the ice. So I'm not blame, I'm not saying, like, that happened because he's injury prone. But you should have you should have never really been banking on him to be completely healthy, especially when your number two right-shot defenseman, Brandon Carlo, as we've said, is also frequently injured. Like, you needed to have more certain options on that side. And it basically just turned into, uh, hey, McAvoy, can you play 30 minutes tonight? Uh, and we'll kind of patch guys can in. You imagine, can that. you imagine if he ever went down for a second? I mean, we saw it happen. We went down so, for six yeah. minutes. They lost the game because of it. Well, if, if they lost him at any point in the playoffs or the regular season, season and, and, was pretty and much look, over. And look, to be fair, you can say that about any team's top defenseman, so I, I don't like that that argument. But, my, but you know, McAvoy, they should count their blessings that their best player, well, best defenseman for sure, um, has been relatively healthy since he's been uh, a pro. I And I have a comment I want to make, not to open an, a whole other can of worms, but I've been sitting over here like, oh my gosh. Um, so they so put we're going to take a commercial break? <laughs> you might, actually, this might be a good no. time, but, but I have to get this out before I like forget the point. Um, so they play Kevin Miller and, and lean on him in ways that they shouldn't because of his health, his health history, whatever. But they needed everybody to pull on the rope because they let go Tori Krug in the offseason, and now is as good a time as any to reflect on how that actually ended up affecting them this season. And he's, he's a left shot. He he has clearly been, uh, when, in hindsight, been missed in, in a lot of ways, shapes, and forms. They had other guys. I mean, you bring in Lozon Zaboral, you're not replacing Tori Krug with Lozon Zaboral. Contract talk, you know, aside, because we don't, We've heard conflicting stories about what they were willing to offer him, whether or not it was close to what the Blues were willing to offer him. But you can just see that they, when they remove him from the system, you you thinned out. And you also lost Chara. Yeah, I mean, Scott, I'll throw it to you. I think that, not to be disrespectful to Krug, but their power play was not the problem in the series, and, and I don't see him helping um, prevent the Islanders' forecheck from being effective to you. No, so I guess so. My take on I'm talking about in terms of the whole season. They had yeah. guys go down left and right during the middle of the season. Well, so my take in terms of letting both Krug and Chara go, and I, I wrote this in a column on wi.com on Thursday. 
those were were perfectly fine moves in and of themselves, like independently to say Char is forty four years old and we're ready to move on and we're you know, whatever. We're not gonna have a regular role for him or we don't see that, that's fine. Krug to say we don't want two smaller defensemen in Krug and Grizzlick. Uh, we don't want to pay him what he's going to get, and he got a huge contract from St. Louis. Also fine. Like, I don't hate either of those moves by themselves. But what you couldn't do was lose both of them and not replace them. Like, that's what killed them, is they thought, well, we're just going to hope these young kids are ready and able to step up. And what really bothered me with that was they basically gave those kids jobs instead of making them earn them. Like, they have forever taken the approach that if you earn playing time, you'll get it. But we're not going to hand you anything. And we've seen that, like, up front. Like, they didn't clear a path for Jack Stanika. They didn't say, it's Stanika's time, it's time to throw him in. They made him earn it, and at times it looked like he was close and didn't quite stick. And You know, separate discussion, but it kind of ended up being a lost season for Jack Stanika because he had injuries in the AHL as well. But, like, they didn't hand anyone a job up front. But yet on defense, they, they were like, ah, I guess we're just going to hope that some of these young D are ready. I feel like they try, I feel like they made Zaboral earn it. No, I mean, he, 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 it had been like five years since he was drafted before he cracked the lineup. But even that... But he well, doesn't earn it in a lineup that has one of no, those but guys like, in but, it. But, but yeah. I mean, even, like, just talking about this season, they went in and it was like... So basically there are two spots for... Lozon, Saboral, and Vakaninen to compete for. And that was the battle in training camp. And none of those guys, in my opinion, had earned the number six defenseman spot. And you're, like, just handing them two, uh, two of the three regular jobs. Mm-hmm. And that just never made sense to me. And like I said, they tried to correct it. And to a certain extent, did by getting Mike Riley. Like, that helped. Uh, but, like, now you're going to be back in... A very similar position this offseason where Riley's an unrestricted free agent, so you're either going to decide to bring him back or you're once again looking at these young D who didn't get the job done this year. Like, are you going to roll with that again? Give them another shot? Or do you go out and find an, an impact that's what I think. defenseman somewhere else, which I think is what you have to do. I think that's what they're going to do. Um, one other thing, guys, before we jump to the forwards that the Bruins need to improve on, and, and and look, it's it's not it's not just this season. It's the last four seasons. Um, look, every team goes through injuries in the postseason. Seems to me though that the Bruins go through as much, if not more, so than anybody else. And part of that's because of the po- the opponents that they've drawn. Part of it's because of the way that they play, um, and part of it's because of the size. There are. The Bruins are not built to win the battle of attrition against big, heavy, playoff-style teams anymore. They're just not. You're like, Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa Bay, St. Louis, Islanders, Washington, which they got through, but, you know. Um, like, last night I was thinking to myself, it's like, think back to those 2011 teams, 2012, 2013, and go down that roster. I mean, you had some big boys on D, the Boychucks, the, the Seidenbergs. McQuaid, Chara, like, those guys were built to get hit and be fine. Up front, you had, you know, the, the the Campbells, who only got out of the lineup from a 
broken leg from a Malkin one timer, Paye, Thornton. Um, like they just they were just built better. They were built tougher, and I think that's an area that the Bruins need to improve on as well. I don't know. I, like, I think every team, if you make a long enough playoff run, has injuries. And I just think other teams have been better equipped to overcome them. Because, That's kind of my point. Because they've been deeper. Like, the Bruins lose guys on defense and can't overcome it because they don't have very good 5th, 6th, 7th defensemen. If someone got... Now, they really didn't Craig Smith for one game, but really didn't have any injuries to their top guys up front. But there's not a lot of depth there in terms of 3rd, 4th liners who can step up and score for you. Mm-hmm. Or even guys who can come into the lineup and make a difference. Um, you know, like, I don't know. You look around the other... Or even, like, go go back to the Bruins in 2011, for instance. They overcame a Bergeron injury in the Eastern Conference Finals yeah, for concussion. a game or two. Giroux. Uh They overcame Nathan Horton going down in the Stanley Cup Final. Like... Yeah, you're right. If you're a deeper team, you can overcome injuries. And I just think the Bruins' biggest issue is they just haven't had the... To what a stupid point by me. <laughs> well, that was that was ridiculous. I'm an idiot. No, <laughs> um, no you're actually you're right though, Scott. That year, those were two big injuries. You're right. They lost Bergeron, got concussed by Giroux, went, and they finished the series against the Flyers. And yeah, they were down. They were down. Da- they won four games against the Canucks without Horton. They were down two on the series, and it was one of those organic turning points. Um, so now let's move forward to the the forwards. And something I texted you guys last night, and, it, and it's a pattern with this Bruins team. And I think it is directly associated with their with their forward group. Um, 2018, they were up one nothing against the Lightning. They lost four in a row to be eliminated in the second round. 19, they were up two one against the Blues. They lost three in a row to get to to lose the finals last but year. Yep, yep. They, they well, they won Game Six. So I think it was three of the last four against the Blues. You're right. Oh yeah, yeah. Because that was that was that was seven. Yeah. That was a seven-game series. Uh, last year, they lost uh, the f- four in a row to beating Tampa in Game 1. And then this year, they um, lost three in a row after being up 2-1 against the Islanders. So my point is, this team, um, they get off to hard, hot starts in series because when team when opponents see them early on, the Bruins have a lot of talent up front that kind of overwhelms their opponent for a second, a game or two, maybe three. And then they start to make adjustments against the Bruins, and neutralize the Bruins' top players. Now, in this series in particular, they didn't really neutralize the Bruins' top players. The Bruins' top players, for the most part, were productive. Well, I think they did when, when Trotz, especially on home ice, when he got Peugeot out against the they, Bergeron line. They did, but 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 they still found ways to contribute at least a goal. But my, So my point is, when, when teams adjust the Bruins, they start to win games in the series and claw their way back, and then the Bruins don't have the ability whether it's a mental fortitude or coaching adjustments or talent, and I think it's the latter, to fight back in, on a game-to-game basis and, and, and extend the series when, when it's coming downhill on them. And so for me, I think that's because of the bottom two lines. And you just, there's there's the lack of identity, and I've been saying it to you guys for months now. Um, and and it, like I said, it looked like it was okay after the deadline. It's like, okay, here we go. We're starting to see something because Lazar went to the fourth line, Hall's in the second line. But your top line is a scoring line. Your second line is a scoring line. That's what it's supposed to be. Then your third line is supposed to be a responsible checking line that can also provide offense. And then your fourth line is supposed to go out there and create energy. I just thought, and and, and when you see the Bruins putting in Kuhlman for DeBrusque, and then just there's a lack of identity. The Islanders, the Sezikis line, 
when they go on the ice every single time, they know, the opponents know, the fans know, the viewers know what they're going to do. And they're going to do it every single shift and provide energy and, and, and place you know, solid physical hockey. The Pajot line knew their identity was to go out there and shut down Bergeron. I thought that... And Palmieri. Yeah. Just to tear them. Yeah. Right. And so, and so, bottom line is, guys, the Bruins' bottom six forwards, um, minus Lazar, they just didn't really show up. And uh, that was a problem for them. Yeah, and I have, so I did want to talk a little bit about Nick Ritchie, because he's been a mixed bag so far this, like, during the season. Um, he's had times, I mean, he won the seventh player award and there's been times where we really praised him and heading into the playoffs. I had him as an X factor just because I thought that he had the potential to use his physicality. And, um, also I'm not the only one who makes bad predictions. No, that was a bad prediction based on logic though. Some, some logic. And this is what I was thinking. I was thinking he was the Bruins fourth highest goal scorer in the regular season. So he had been producing way more than probably expected um, when he started out this year, especially after not having a great season last season. Who was his center? This year. For most of that? Coyle, Charlie Coyle. It was mostly David Krejci early on. That's early what he's on so when true, he was, it, was, it was David Krejci. I so guess, that goes to show that Krejci can make people around him better. We're going we're gonna to get to that. Um, so anyway, he has the potential to score those goals out front um, and take advantage of rebounds if they're coming out, which, by the way, some of... Some of the games, they were getting a lot of rebounds that they just couldn't put home. But in the playoffs, Richie had one goal. It was the very first game. Um, and then since then, nothing. Uh, and he had one assist in the Islanders series in game two, but that was an assist on a Charlie Coyle goal. That was just a complete individual effort for the most part. Like, that was just like... It was a nice, it was a nice pass through the neutral zone, but yeah, I mean... That Charlie, was his one point in the Islanders series. Uh, if it wasn't for Coyle, it would have just been, uh, you know perimeter shot and tied up but yeah yeah exactly so not 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 good enough so he yeah by the way, ended up that, on the... that one goal by coil that was the only three points by anyone in the bruins bottom six the entire series because richie and coolman got the assist that was it there was not a single point from anyone in your bottom six the rest of the series so we're we're talking about the lack of secondary scoring obviously in that category the fourth line had no goals lazar corrali wagner no goals that's not necessarily that we expected them to they go off. But they didn't they, have a goal in the regular season as a line five on five. Like I think Lazar had an empty netter, and I think he had a goal against the Capitals in the final game when the whole lineup was out. But like as so a obviously line, they weren't expecting. But they worked hard. I'm not trying to take that away oh, from no, them. Me but they too. just didn't. You got at some point, even as the fourth liners, like Sezika scored in overtime. You have to get at least a goal. I mean, Wag- Wagner game six. Had chances. How many times was he around the net? And Actually, I thought he had one of his best games. He did have a good game, but like, you would love to see him finish one of those chances. I mean, he's cutting across the front. He loses control. Like, so I, I think I think it's more so, guys. It, it really was. It came down to a lack of talent on that bottom six. I mean, well, and DeBrus, they thought would pan out. Obviously, it's become clear as time goes on that DeBrus isn't the talent. That he showed flashes of earlier in his career, it just ended Not up going. Flashes that that he was. He I mean, was. This guy, guy scored twenty seven goals <laughs> he in was, the season. He was a legit top six winger. He was. Yeah. You but know, how? But like with consistency issues. But he was yeah, exactly the consistency has gotten worse. So. It, well, now he's just consistently not good. It, that's true. I guess if if you want to call it that, you can. <laughs> he. Do you guys remember when he actually used to be an offensive like threat? At, yeah, like he. I wrote like, a whole article about it during the season. He, like, 
I I've t- I've said it on this podcast before, but like when he was a rookie, the Bruins don't win Game Seven against Leafs if he doesn't go hard to the net. And like like that's how he played. Like like this whole Jake DeBrusque is a ghost thing really happened post COVID when they went to the bubble last year, and since then the kid has been brutal mentally, physically, everything. I would say he even start a little before then because he'd been awful the second half of last season, even before the break. Because remember, they that's when they split him and Krejci up because neither one of them were really doing much. And then they put him with Coyle and nothing happened there either. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's amazing just how far he has fallen and how far his value has fallen. Because people are like, well, you know, you got to move on from him now. And I don't even disagree, but you're not getting anything in return. Like he has... Un- Maybe some like maybe someone just takes a fly. I don't know. Gives you I, a third or fourth round pick, but you're not getting anything of value for. I it. think. See, I I think I think that I think they can nothing. Certainly not what they could have in the past. But I do think that because how old is he? 24, 23? Like yeah. he's he like he's he's not even in his mid twenties yet. He's just approaching it. And he like up, up until the last calendar year, he was like a twenty five goal scorer in this league. And I just think Jake DeBrusque is the classic. Give him a change of scenery type player that somebody is going to give like, so I think, I think the Bruins, because what I don't think is going to happen is you're not going to get a good NHL player for him anymore. In the past, you could have. I do think, I do think that it's possible they can get a second round pick for him. I I, I do depending on, but but maybe third. But regardless, we'll get to that later. Um, just disappointing though, guys, because like like so, DeBrusque has a ton of talent. Um, he just doesn't really utilize. I mean, he they, for somebody who's so fast. I mean, he hasn't moved at all. And but, if it's an effort issue, it's which, hard. You can't fix an effort issue. It, it's up it, for Tedra Brusk to fix it's the an effort. effort issue. It's an effort issue, and it's a it's a mental issue, and he, which is on him to fix. Yeah, and no, so I, a team doesn't really know what they can do but, to mold him. But but where I look at the Bruins and say to myself, hmm, could you have done better there? Because like I said, there there were games, guys, where the fourth line were working their asses off, and there were times where Coyle worked his ass off. Um, but there are some, there, there's a, there is a talent issue and I, and I, it's like, so you have a, you have a pool of like, what, a couple thousand of the best hockey players in the world and you have 12 per team for forwards. And I, there are times where I just think to myself, really? So like we have all these potential players in, that we can choose from and, and we're going to have a couple of South, former South Shore Kings in our lineup, like nothing against Chris Wagner or Sean Corrali, but Sean Corrali has stone hands. He, he, what he used to have going for him was size and speed. I don't think it's as prevalent anymore for him. But he can't finish anything. Wagner isn't. It's just I don't know, Scott. Like can, they gotta get. Like they have some players down down that they've drafted. It's like, clearly this, not this, the best fourth line they've had. I mean, when they had Nolachari, even when they had Tim Schaller, like Pie, like think about the the fourth liners that have been effective for them in those lines um, when they need deeper cup runs, this, I mean, this line can, doesn't compare. You can have you can have one dud in your fourth line. Like, Matt Martin's not a great hockey player, but Kyle Clutterbuck and Casey Zegas have skill. You know, so, you, yeah. like, like, Sean Thornton didn't have talent, but Dan Pye and Greg Campbell did. So, like, you, you just got to find that nice blend, and they have to do that this offseason, and we'll yeah, get to that later. But. To, to me, fourth line is where you can... I don't want to say you can plug in anyone, but you can find cheap options that you can call guys up. Like, that's fine. To me, the bigger issue is the third line, which was just a black hole really all season. And after the trade deadline, you thought, 
okay, they're going to find more balance where now, like, Richie drops down to a third-line role that's kind of fits him better than, you know, the second line where he was. And DeBrusque now gets to be a third-liner, and that's more where maybe he would be this season. And it just, ne- that never got going. Like, Richie, Coyle, DeBrusque did not work as a line. Then they moved Corrali up. That worked a little bit. And then, you know, DeBrusque starts to play better, and you try to go back to that, and then it doesn't work again. And it's just, like, no, none of those guys were good enough. And, yeah, I think Coyle usually tends to work hard, but he wasn't nearly good enough this whole season, this whole postseason. Like, he is getting paid to be one of the, not just a third line, not just a third line center. He's getting paid like he should be one of the best third line centers in the NHL. And you paid him, in I, I think, and I think most people think, with the idea that he might be your second line center when Krejci's yeah. time is up. And he's not going to be that. Like, he doesn't look like that at all. If you're, if, you know, I don't know when when get get to offseason stuff, but like if you move on from Krejci, you don't have another number two center you on the team right on now. So, so you have to go find something. Do you know what do, do you know what Coyle's plus minus was in the Islander series quickly? I know what it was, I'll just tell you. Yeah, go Bad. ahead. It was a I minus it was a minus eight. Yeah. He was yeah. a minus eight. And not not to be a Charlie Coyle apologist or anything, but when you're centering a line with Richie and DeBrusque, not that I don't I don't think Richie's a bad player, but he's not a skilled player. Like he's not he's not a winger that's gonna help you um create but offense necessarily. He... So I just think that his he had a worse season because that is not a good match for him. Like that whole line in general did not mesh. And by game six, Richie's on the fourth line. Obviously that's just an adjustment that Cassidy thought he needed to make uh to make the fourth line a little bit rougher and to to move Coleman up. Um, to try to fix the problems the third line was having. And DeBrusque, you know, he, he's ended up on and off the roster throughout the year. Coyle's had different guys around him. I, I just think that, that that line just throw that, like, pairing situation out the window. Find other people to play Coyle, next to Coyle. I, that's he, my opinion. He, he's, he's another guy that, that dropped off during COVID because he, was, he had, like, 16 goals in 60-something games before the COVID break. And his line mates for most of the season were Dan Heinen and insert who Anders Bjork, Bjork. Was there. So like you can't is that really much better than Richie and DeBrusque? I mean, in theory, Richie and DeBrusque, like Richie and Coyle could have worked down low and DeBrusque could have just like been buzzing around the ozone, but I'm not, not saying those guys any of those were, were good. No, but my point is him. like Coyle has produced you, without optimal lines before. Yeah, yeah, I guess I would say like if if we're gonna criticize DeBrusque for not attacking D and going at them and, and you know being aggressive more, I think you can make the same criticisms of Coyle. Like, when you see the the goal that he scored in this series, when you see the goal he scored against the Rangers during the regular season... How about the Capitals when he did the pump fake against... Um, yeah. Was it Schultz or somebody like that? And like, went, did the wraparound? Yeah, when you see that he has that kind of skill, and then you wonder, why does he go games on end without even trying that? Like, I understand if you're making those kind of aggressive drives, you're not always going to score... It's not always going to end in a highlight. But, like, he'll go games or almost even an entire series without even, like, trying to take on defenders like that. And it's like, why? Like, what? that's not just because his wingers aren't good enough. Like, maybe some production-wise, sure. If he's setting guys up and they're not finishing, sure. If guys aren't getting him the puck, sure. 
but like that's individual stuff that just wasn't there consistently. It's funny you say that because when the Bruins traded for him a few years ago at the deadline um, for Donato, I, 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 I went on YouTube and I already knew Charlie Coyle. I knew what kind of player he was. But of course, you get a new player, you're going to go look at all of his highlights just to get excited or whatever. I had been watching the Minnesota Wild. That was like my secondary team because when oh, I lived, sorry to hear that. when I lived in North Carolina, <laughs> they were so boring. No, they were, but they were like so. I would finish watching the East Eastern games, and then I would you know pick a game to watch on the Western side of things because they started later. And I always watched the Wild because I like Charlie Coyle, uh, I like Zach Parise. I just thought that that was going to be the one that I would watch, and so I knew too that mm. when Charlie Coyle came over. You know that he, the Bruins won the trade. I knew it, and people would argue with me at the time, but it's very clear. And look, they still have because the done nothing. But exactly. to, but to what cost? They, um, they won the trade. I would say they are. It's looking like they maybe lost the extension. Yeah. But to what Scott said, um, when I was watching those highlights, there was a goal that Coyle scored as a member of the Wild, where he um, he like went through one of the Canadians' legs in Minnesota and like did a backhand or top shelf from the whatever. It was a highlight or a goal. And the Minnesota announcers, so it would be like Jack Edwards and Andy Brickley, were this transparent, and they were like, what a goal, whatever, and they were like, you wonder why you don't see this more often out of Charlie Coyle. And those are the old team announcers saying that. And and that when I, when I heard that, I was like, uh, I, I was like, well, we only give up to Nato, so hopefully he's better here. But as time goes on, we start to see what they saw. Um, yeah. I think now maybe. Oh, well, actually, one question before we go to the offseason. Because I, I, I have mine. I want to go to you guys first. If you had to pinpoint a key turning point in this series, one turning point, what would it be? And if you need time to think, I will go first. But do you guys have one? No. I mean, the first one that immediately comes to mind is Carlo getting hurt. Like, no good question. Have, that, good thing I have a different one anyway. I, I don't think that single-handedly changes the series. I don't think it's an excuse for losing the final three games. But I do think it, it changes the series. It, Certainly affected their the Bruins' penalty kill. It put worse defensemen in, in bigger spots that they really weren't equipped to handle. I think, and and I also agree with that uh, assessment. I think that losing Carlo was so huge in the series that you could you could definitely have that as uh, your turning point. I completely agree with Scott. Just to do something different, I think Game Five, um, because at at that point in time. The series was tied two to two. It was a clean slate, but if you when you lose the next one, you now you're setting yourself up for elimination. They put in a, a good effort, and that's the game that kind of people are going to remember and think people are going to think back to it because that's the game the Bruins should have won. And then they lose. They were going to lose game six if they, assuming same performance put gets put up. So then you have a game seven, and you're still alive. So game five ends up being. One that they didn't have complete control of. The referee situation was bad. They have to take Duke out for Swayman. There's just so many things in that game that, you know, if it goes a little bit different and they win that game, they needed to find a way to win that one. Two good ones. So a popular one would have been the Pasternak empty net. I'm not going to choose that one because they ended up getting the one nothing lead anyway. So I'm I think go- you might choose the one, the, the second one that I thought of. So I'm going to go a little bit later in the game when the Bruins did have the one nothing lead. Yeah. In game four, when with a 2-1 series lead and a one nothing lead in the game, and then a gift power play right after scoring, and they do jack shit. And then the Islanders come down and score. That changed the entire series. Yes, the Carlo thing too, but the, the game before. But if you're really looking at when the Bruins shot themselves in the foot, it was right then and there. 
and it was an ongoing theme. They couldn't extend the lead. So yeah. uh, if, if, if you want to look back at the series and think about when things got, went wrong, really, um, those three answers by us are probably all legit. Um, but it would have delayed the inevitable. As we said, they would have lost to Tampa anyway. So now, guys, let's finish off with um, the offseason. And, um, you know, like maybe maybe you can start with with Tuca or wherever. Um, what are the what are the biggest team needs, and, and what do you do if you're Don Sweeney? Do you keep Sweeney Cassidy? Like, what do you do? I feel like we could do a whole podcast on this. Like this, we, prob- just we, we easily so could. We easily could. We're already but... sixty minutes into this podcast. That's okay. People, okay, people, we're gonna keep it look, rolling. All people are doing today is 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 listening to the skate pod and and the song. Ah, uh, the rose. <laughs> it's just, it's just, who like, can say you can, where the rose? You can split this up into multiple listening sessions if you want. Like that's fine. Re, you know, revisit again a couple days later. I mean, we'll have other opportunities to come in and break up down the off season too, with, yeah. with events coming up. But I think just um, you know, quick thoughts. I yeah, guess. quick thoughts. So, to me, with, without question, our, the most interesting part of this off season to me is going to be the three big unrestricted free agents and that's Tigger Ask, David Krejci, Taylor Hall. Uh Rask. So, I think your ideal goaltending situation is Jeremy Swayman splitting time with veteran X. And if that veteran is Tigger Ask, I'm totally fine with that. But I just want it to be clear going in that like that's what the situation is. It's you don't have to make guarantees to either of them, but say you you're you two are our goalies. You're gonna mostly split time and we're not even gonna worry about like who's the playoff starter until we get there. Exactly and that's So to that see that how creates, the season goes. That creates competition. Like yeah. you say you're gonna get equal time, one of you has to prove that you're gonna get the net when when, you know, things get down to the wire. I like I like that option for them. I don't see why Rask wouldn't agree to sign on to that. If they wanted to tell him to come in as the backup, like legitimately like the backup He's not going to agree to that. But if you want to say, I want a competition out of you two, I want you guys to, to um, switch time. I don't know why Rask wouldn't. He needs rest, clearly. So I, I I can see him agreeing to that, but I'm not sure the Bruins want to bring him back. I'm really not sure that that's the direction they're heading in. I think they might want to go swim in full time. I think that'd be very rich. Like, if they don't re-sign Rask or if he retires or... Well, you said with veteran X. You know, you could get another veteran goalie. Well, that's what I mean. Like, I, th- I think you're going to have to get someone and not some bum. So that's where it gets complicated. Like, I want someone who, if if Swayman struggles, which I don't think he will. I really like Jeremy Swayman. I'm very high on him. I think Let's he's hope gonna this be, isn't another Scott prediction. I think he's going to be a very good NHL goalie. Yeah, see, he's going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you jinxed him. Um, but I want to have a real security blanket in case... Swayman does struggle, uh, because you just don't know. And as an example for that, I would use the Philadelphia Flyers, who were as high on Carter Hart as you can possibly be on a goalie, and for good reason, because he showed a ton of promise. But they didn't put... They put a lot of eggs in that basket. They did not put all of them in that basket, because they brought in Brian Elliott, a proven veteran, to compliment him. And not... Look, the Flyers stunk this year. But Elliot was actually their better goalie, and he wasn't bad. Um, like, I want someone like that, who, if he needs to step in and potentially be my number one for a stretch, is capable of handling it. So, like, don't go get 41-year-old Craig Anderson. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I don't think that even means Yaroslav Halak, because I don't know if he's that caliber of a goalie anymore. And there aren't a lot of 
veterans that fit that mold that are out there as unrestricted free agents this year. So that's why I'm totally fine with Rask if that's where it ends up going because I think he fits that bill. I think regardless of like all the fans and critics and all that, I think the team likes him. I think he likes it here. This is where he's going to stay anyways. Like, I don't even know if he would play for another team in the past. Yeah, he I, said he wouldn't. So I, I, I agree. I think there's an asterisk next to bringing back Tuka Rask until we find out the extent of like where he is with his surgery recovery. And I do think that if he's not here, he's not anywhere. I don't want any confusion in the Bruins locker room next year come playoff time. I don't want Tuka to be a distraction who's starting Tuka or Swayman. I want Swayman to be starting when the playoffs come next spring, and I want there to be zero doubts. And unless Tuka's willing to come back to Boston for glorified backup money, I don't want him eating up any more cap space, even if it's $2 million, because I think they're going to need every single penny to address other team needs. And I don't think that you need to lock up Tuka for backup to take 25 games. So you can find somebody to do that for cheap, whether it's Vladar or somebody else, I just don't Wait. think you need it. I don't think you need that two-headed monster in, on the caps. I, on the cap, you, I don't think you, you need it. You bring up a good point about the cap situation and how it's going to affect the goaltenders. The Bruins have an upper hand, the upper hand in this cap situation in terms of if they want to negotiate with Tuca because they have Swayman. Like Swayman gives them the chip. They're like, we can't give you that much money because, and we don't have to because yeah. we're perfectly comfortable rolling with Swayman. So yeah. you have to Tuca and whomever else that they might try to sign in free agency if they don't want to go with Tuca, has, you know, the lower hand in, in terms of they can't play all the cards because it's not, you know, them or bust. It's like, we'll take you or we'll leave you. Like, yeah. you kind of have to send a deal we're willing to give you because we can move on to swimming at any point in time and feel completely comfortable with that. So the cap situation in, in that particular area in goaltending plays into the hands of the Bruins. And like I said, if Tuga wants to go back for, for for a very team-friendly, like I said, glorified backup price, fine. I'm not saying, like, he's nothing to me. I'm just saying, like, I don't want because I because I, I, I do want them to re-sign Krejci and Hall. And I think that hopefully both those players want to be in Boston. may take a little bit less, but they have other team needs on the blue line that I just... I don't need them to be paying too good stupid money for 25 games when you're going to have Swayman in the playoffs anyway. And now how long of a contract would you give them? Two years. Yeah, it, it's more about the money than the term for me. Like, if, if I just don't want to meet up the cap space. They I need... would try to get them, like, two years, seven million total, three and a half a year. You don't think that's too much? If, if, if he, what if no, he's a the, the so I guess... backup? What was Howlock getting as a backup? I'm just curious, for reference. I think it... Because if that's, like if that's the going that. price for, like, a typical backup, maybe a little bit more than five. Uh, Halaga's 2.25. All right. Yeah, I mean, I just think you have Vladar, who's who's under a million. And, but and I don't, like, I don't know if I trust Vladar. I don't know if I do either. But No, maybe, that, but, but, the eggs in the basket thing. Like, but maybe, I, I mean, I guess if you do, then, yeah, then you're, you are saving a lot of money. That becomes that's a huge saying. advantage. That's what I'm saying. Like, so maybe, maybe it's a risk. such a gamble. Yeah. Maybe it's a gamble we're taking, though, because, guys, they, like... There's no easy fix for this team. They're kind of in purgatory. They they don't have a ton in the pipeline that's like bona fide, and they have to spend the, on the market and like you need money. Do you take the gamble at this point in in Bergeron's career? Yeah, I do. Yeah, really? Because yeah, I, I disagree. Do. I, I do because they need the help elsewhere on the roster. They need the help elsewhere but, on the but roster. But if that blows up, then it's over. Like Th- then it's over. It, it's over. Then it's over. But but oh, but man. it's over. Look, we it could it could be over last night for all we know. Honestly, well, yeah, I think it, it is. And I think we'll so. Get it's to either that. it's either over because because your blue line sucks because you don't have the money to spend it because it's in your goalie, or it's over because 
um, you didn't bring back the goalie and your backup sucks and it didn't get you to... So either way, it's it's either going to blow up. So I'm going to choose to go... This is like a minefield. Like I'm Cassidy gonna... and, the, and like management is just going to have to walk through this minefield and hope <laughs> nothing blows up on them. Yeah, well, and we, we've touched on this a little, but it's it's a point worth making. And the reason that this is a minefield and the reason that this is so challenging for Don Sweeney to do this all under the cap is because they're drafting and in development in terms of high-end players has been extremely poor for basically Sweeney's entire tenure here. So they got Postanog in the draft just before Sweeney took over. Yep. They got McAvoy, obviously, a grand slam. Yep. Other than that, the point is, is it has been a while since they have brought up young, a young forward or a young defenseman who really pushes for a top-six role or a top-four role. And I don't think they have any who are going to be ready to do that next year. Like, who would you look at and think, oh, this guy might be ready to? Like, I don't think Jack Stanik is there. Again, and like I said, unfortunately, this was a bit of a lost season for him. So if you want to say he's competing for a roster spot next year, great, absolutely, give him a shot. But I'm not banking on him to be any sort of top nine forward for me. Uh, defense, they just tried it. They just tried it this year. We already went over it. Like, those guys weren't ready to handle that bigger role. So, that's normally how teams keep a, win- a, a, a cup window open longer. You know, that like that's what Tampa's doing. Where, or Colorado, with young players that they bring in, is they, they promote from within, and they have guys on these cheaper deals, and they get the cycle going so that when they have to move on from a veteran for cap reasons there's someone there ready to replace them for cheaper money. And the Bruins just haven't had it, which is why they have to keep and that's trying why... to find top six forwards and top four defensemen via trade or free agency, and that's more expensive and leaves you less money to fill out the rest of your roster. And a less uh, you know, qualified core of defense because you're gambling on the Lausanne's and the Zaboros of the world, and it didn't work out exactly as they planned this year. It's likely not going to work out in the other years unless, like you said... You you really are able to develop the, and draft the right kinds of defensemen, and I guess everyone in general. My my spark notes, I guess, for for the off season, my wish list would be, um, Swayman's the starting goalie next year. Rask is only back if he takes a really friendly deal. Um, I I try to resign Krejcian Hall. I obviously you have Marsh and Bergeron. I'll if I can keep, unless Smith is really valuable, I'm keeping Smith. Um, other than that, anybody up front is, is, is open game for me, whether they're free agents or not. I'm looking to get anything for any of them. Um, and so on the bottom six, I think you can fix that. Like you said, Scott, earlier in the podcast from within, like Oscar Steen, um, uh, Beecher, Jacob Lauco, um, you know, Seneshin. There, there, there are options there. Um, wait, isn't Seneshin your favorite? Yeah, well. I guess I would say, like. Curtis Hall. Just Curtis to, Hall, I was going to say it, but he's not quite close enough yet, I don't To clarify think. my business, like, I think you might be able to rebuild your fourth line from within. Yeah. I still think you're going to need to address the third line no, from no, without. Because, yeah, no, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm just, yeah, I, I was more so throwing a bunch of names that could be for that, that option. Um, I think Beecher, someone like Beecher could be a middle six at some point. But yes. Um, I don't know. I feel like that might end up being another one of those picks that so? were like, yeah, uh, well, you didn't really I get guess, much from him. Yeah, I got, well, well he's, he's still in college, though. 
Yeah, but like he hasn't really he was scored hurt. even he at was that hurt. level. He's been hurt, but he hasn't really scored even at that level. Well, we'll we'll see how he turns out. But like Corrali, Richie, the Kasha, like if you have to get rid of whomever, um, DeBrusque, I don't. Again, somebody has to be um, exposed in, dra- in the expansion draft, but I don't want to expose DeBrusque. I I do think you can get something for him. So the Bruins don't have a correct me if I'm wrong. They don't have a second round pick this draft. So. My goal with DeBrusque is to, if you can't, I don't, which I don't think you can, you can't get a, a, an impact NHL player for him anymore. He's dropped off that much. But if a team is willing to give you a second-round pick this year, with their first round and your second-round picks, the Bruins need to hit. They need to hit on an impact center and wing for this team and hope that they can be impactful next year. And and this is without. They're not gonna be. You, you, uh, this, this is my wish list. This is my wish know. list. Other teams have. Other teams have. Now but it, but at, I mean, at twenty one, I think you can get a really good player, just not for next year. I think. Well, any, but you still any, have to address. Any, you still have to address center, in particular. So, so so center is their first priority in the draft. It is. Um, but if you're if you're a first round pick, my expectation is you have a chance to crack a roster. That's just my opinion. Um, second round is is I said chance. Second round, we'll see. But my point is, they're going to have the cap space to, to address certain needs on the blue line and up front, but they need to draft a center and a wing. And like I said, they don't even have a second round pick right now. So I, they need to trade DeBrus for something of value. Um, is, they're in a tough spot. They are. They're in purgatory right now. Now, they're still a top 10 team in the NHL, I think. But as we saw just now, that doesn't get you very far at the end of the day. So we'll see what happens. You do have, have to optimize Bergeron and Martian while you have them. And I just want to keep my wish list short and sweet uh i know what if it is. they do not sign david krejci and they do not sign taylor hall they are making a huge mistake yeah i mean that is know. just it will be unacceptable for them not to bring both of those guys back for you can name any reasons you want i think hall will come back for a deal he's not going to ask for anything too crazy krejci's probably going to well krejci has to take less um but those two together, and I've heard this said, and and I agree, I disagree too. But uh, if you bring one back, you're going to bring two both back. I think that they need to bring both of them back. That that's clearly not the problem with this roster. I think you're going to get them. Uh, you have to get them to come back. Otherwise, you're kind of saying that this window's over. In my opinion, if you don't have Krejci on the team, you're well, kind of blowing up. If that's it up. the case, then get rid of all of them except for McAvoy and Passion. Yeah. I can see what you can exactly. get. Exactly. That's why you can't get rid of Krejci. This <laughs> yeah, season. because right. the, the only thing that even gave you a chance this season was that you traded for Taylor Hall and it gave you a second line. Right. Now, yes, Hall went quiet against the Islanders. Two points in six games. Understood. Okay, like so if you're like, oh, he fell apart, whatever... Okay, so you're going to move on to him, and then what are you going to do? Like, you're looking for a second-line wing again, so good luck. Yeah, you got, yeah. You got one. Yeah. And he, and who, who wants to be here? He wants to be here. He wants to make sure that his team's good as well around him because he's at the point in his career where he is a just he just wants to get to the cup. It's not about the contract, I don't think, for him anymore. I think he's really realizing this is his push, and this is a team he can make that push with, so I think he'll uh, sign a decently favorable contract. But the the part, we joked about Seneshin a few minutes ago. Like that that's what does suck about this is that like, no, no, first of all, nobody in their system really up front, um, like young guys that haven't really cracked the roster. They haven't been good enough to impact the NHL team, and they don't have enough, um, like value slash like um, 
just value to really to, to trade away either. You can, yeah. you, you can't even trade Senishin for for a goalie coach. Like, well, that that's like like so if we wanted just hypothetically to go down the road of Jack Eichel, who all reports are there, there's going to be quite a bit of trade talk around Jack Eichel this offseason. Hey, if he's good enough friends with Taylor Hall, maybe. You know, some phone calls. Well, the, the, even Buffalo's GM is like though. best friends with Matt Grizzlick. <laughs> yeah, but Buffalo's GM isn't is friends with those guys, and he's not going to take anything um, but the best. So, but yeah, so like, like just say something like that. If you're putting, if you're trying to trade for Jack Eichel, to your point, like you don't have elite blue chip prospects that are going to entice them, which is why you got reports of like, well, for Buffalo, it would start with either McAvoy or Pasternak, which. I'm not doing. Like, Michael's not worth. No, I'm no. hanging up the phone. Those are two guys who have already performed in the playoffs for me. Michael's uh, never been in the playoffs. Like, I'm not doing that. Pashnak stepped up this year against against the Big Islanders team. He did. Yeah, that was a knock on him before for the series. Sure. But yeah, so like, if you were going to make a deal for Michael, so here's one thing: I, I threw it to my uh, a friends group a while back. What if the centerpiece of your trade package for Jack Eichel? Was Jeremy Swayman? Right, I heard. I heard that this morning. Um, got feeling no. I, I'm doing it. I think I'm, I think <laughs> I'm I doing it. it. I'm doing it. Go find another another hockey's goalie. I'm doing it. Go. <laughs> Brian just got so excited there, about. Well, that. you know what? I had pause because it's like he's the next guy, but. You know what though? Like after all the, hey, the hey, whole season hyping find, Jeremy Swayman, you can that? find a goalie for short term. Like you, you can find goalies. I mean. You know they're out there. I guess it it it, it comes there. down to, you know, the, what time you want to make the push. If you want to make the push next year, all in a hundred percent. Say, screw the future. Eichel, it is over Swayman. Well, but, I, I don't even necessarily think it is a screw the future move. To me, it's it's a it's a win now. It's a win now move, and it's also setting up my next core because now my next core becomes Jack Eichel, David Pasternak, Charlie McAvoy. Maybe Hall for you know however long he signs, but you got Bergeron's successor right there. Yep, exactly. Like now I have my clear number one center of the future. That, that, Do you that, think that they you can would draft find next fair, fair value in that deal? Do you think that well, Buffalo thinks it's a fair deal? Well, it'd have to be more than that. So yeah. it'd be yeah. Swayman be and piece. you know Sedition. a first round pick. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably they probably would just want our picks. Honestly, if they don't trust the, <laughs> the Bruins but, draft, actually, you have hey. Andrews Bjork two point <laughs> You know what? Maybe maybe there's another reason why Swayman should have gotten some looks in the playoffs because he could have been upped his value. That's that's a lost uh, lost opportunity. I think his value is pretty high anyway. I do too, especially but... for like a team like Buffalo that doesn't really have a goal. Like I don't think they have a goalie, but that they're like this is our future guy. So, I mean, even if even if Jeremy Swayman ended up being the next like Carey Price, but you get Jack Eichel for the next ten years, like I'm okay with that. <laughs> I mean. You know what did Carey Price do in Montreal the last seven years when their team sucked? Nothing. So sucks for Swayman, but that I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But it's a fun hypothetical. If it, it if that were if that's a real possibility, like the Bruins should be all over that. Um, and, and that's the thing. But and then yeah, right, too good. Get, that's get the thing is like you get you're you're starting those conversations now because you you have to know if there's even any chance. Like if you're even remotely close, if there's even anything you can do to get into a real conversation about getting him. Because if not, then yeah, you re-sign Krejci for two years or whatever it is, and you roll with this for a year or two or, or however long you can keep this window open and try to add enough around them. And 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 they do need to get bigger on the back end and, and sturdier because like you look at the teams that have won the last few years, like 
um, Tampa and St. Louis, like one through six, like big boys back there. And and I just think that durability is so important, and and the the ability to clear out the front of your net, and just you know make a trap around you know the slot in a defensive zone like these are all things that the Bruins like they, they've kind of sacrificed that in the last few years to go more mobile more skilled and you know it's like I said last night the irony of the Bruins kind of shifting their identity to more of a skill game and then getting having their seasons end the last three four years against teams that kind of revert to the old st- Bruins style and um I think that's important too so but that's something that could be done via trade free agency and drafting I think they need to focus on center and wing um, but yeah, any other thoughts for you guys? I feel like we've gone like seven hours. No, well, I feel like all the thoughts that we have left over will definitely be addressed in expansion, an expansion draft podcast, a free agency podcast, um, or just a, a draft podcast that I'm sure we're going to get into, um, some of our, we're not going to do as many podcasts during the off season, but we're going to do a uh, podcast on yeah, that summer, stuff in a lot of this league. summer so, league. So a lot of that stuff uh, we'll be able to address more in depth at the, the time. Sum, the summer skate pod. Um, the Bruins season's over. Our season's not over. We, we, right. we're, no, we're, we're still writing. We're, we're, we're still we're, we're podcasting. We're year-round. Year um, Scott, do you have closing thoughts or no? No, uh, just this. I would just say uh, thank, no, but you, yes. thank you to everyone who's, who's listened this year uh, and read our stuff or followed in any way at all. Hopefully you enjoyed it if you made it to the end of the season and are listening. And the end of this five-hour podcast that <laughs> presumably you have. So, um, seriously, like, thank you. Obviously, we started this from just kind of cobbled it together, taking over from Ken and Matt, uh, and you know, didn't know if it was going to happen. Didn't know if there was going to be the same podcast. If whatever, like, everything was up in the air until well into the season, and um, it's been a lot of fun. Like, I've really enjoyed doing this and i hope people have enjoyed listening and uh yeah so so thank you because it's not fun if no one listens i think it's nice that at the station we finally are able to like to you two we're like not many people in here i can really talk like have a full conversation about hockey with like we could go on for another three hours on this because you know all three of us are passionate about it you guys know your stuff we bounce ideas off each other we finally have like some good Bruins content um, outside of the airwaves, so I think I think it's gone well. I think yeah. I think it, for me, it's been fun. Yeah, I think we've built a little bit of a dynasty here, at least potential to be. I mean, when like you said, you know, the old the old team, Matt and Ken were uh, they had to take a hiatus for a little bit, and then um, yeah, obviously spoke to Ken, and then, so it's like all right, so I'm gonna I have to build a team now. So it's like, where do I want to start? Drafting so, Scott so, McLaughlin so, and. <laughs> yeah, so I, I I like Scott as a, as a three tool player. You know, he's he knows his stuff. He's you know a good writer, good editor, and he's all of the digital. So like, gotta get, I gotta get him as long as it's for the right deal. And then um, you know Bridget kind of came in on, on her her ECL and um, or ELC whatever it's called entry level contract. And uh, I mean, hopefully we don't go to arbitration because you're just gonna you know bend this I'm over and you know sign a long term <laughs> long term deal. But no, love the team that we have and it's, it has been fun and. You know, shame on the Bruins for uh, getting knocked out by the Saints that we can't prolong this a few more weeks. But I can't annoy Scott up on the ninth floor of the Garden anymore and try to make him take a selfie oh, that he y- won't take. Yeah, seriously, uh, I get, I get, I get to go to my first practice and then <laughs> that's the last one. You know what? Right now is a perfect time to take that skate pond selfie, Scott. Scott, uh-huh. you said you said if Brian was here, you'd do it. 
I see Brian. Yeah. He's in the if room. If Scott wants to, he can. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna force him to. But uh, I, I think I think what I would love to see is um, I love to see Scott posting some videos over the summer, but like with uh, Fleetwood Mac in the background, dreams of him just like rollerblading around Philadelphia, <laughs> <laughs> wherever wherever you live now. But uh, that would be some fun content. That would make my day. But um. All jokes aside, has been fun. Uh, this isn't the last one of this. Of the, uh, we'll 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 be bouncing back in here a few times throughout the summer. So, keep following, keep listening, and um, thanks for being along for the ride.